This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each month, we explore love and sex by asking a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This episode contains explicit material. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This month's question is, what is the future of sex? Will sex get better? Will sex get more dangerous? Will we be having sex with robots? Our investigation led us to a Soho sex store, an expert in artificial intelligence, and the Hugh Hefner of lesbian porn. Before we got too far into our investigations of what sex and sex toys would look like in the future, we wanted to root ourselves into how sex and the sex toy industry in particular has evolved in the past 10 or 20 years. And the perfect person to ask about that was Claire Cavanaugh. She's the co-founder of Toys in Babeland, which is a sex-positive sex store that started in Seattle, but has since spread all the way to Brooklyn and Manhattan. The first Babeland opened in 1993, which means Claire has been in the business for about 22 years. Claire told us that most of the 90s sex toys were made with a sort of mystery meat rubber that no one knew the contents of. Most of the dildos that they sold were bright neon colors and smelled terrible. However, she did acknowledge that there was a small group of companies dedicated to making high-quality dildos and that, thankfully, that number has only grown. We've come a long way. There was no such thing as a remote control vibrator even when we started, and so those came out as, you know, just a really playful um, way to connect, you know, like to go dancing and someone has a vibrator that's, you know, attached to you or they have the remote and you have the vibrator and it's like... Um, just a fun thing to do Um, but now now you can you know now that you can control the temperature in your house from your phone you know that's just like sex toys are going the way of most other things associated with technology like social media you know that's like connecting through um, digital means that's kind of what's happening with sex toys too and so now with that particular vibrator the the um the blue motion you can be anywhere in the world and your sweetheart can be elsewhere and you know as long as you have an internet connection i guess that has to be true the blue motion vibrator is one of the world's first app controlled vibrators it was developed by one of our favorite couples working in the sex toy industry suki and brian dunham the blue motion was partly inspired because the couple who both often travel for work wanted to find a way to be intimate while they were physically apart well, we just launched the, the Blue Motion uh, product at the Consumer Electronics Show in January, and um, the reaction was, was outstanding in, in that people um, like to see companies innovating within their particular industries. And so not only did we have an Android and iPhone uh, app-controlled vibrator, but it was also a wearable piece of technology, um, one that also has a lot to do with your, your sexual health and, and well-being. And so what that does is, Uh, It really opens up the discussion about it, which is great for us and and kind of uh, goes along with our mission about opening up the discussion about about these types of products and how healthy they are in everybody's uh, day-to-day lives. So at this point, most people are familiar with vibrators, but are people comfortable with an app-controlled vibrator like Blue Motion? Are they using it? Is it something they want to purchase? We asked Suki. 
Yeah, I would say definitely that technology and in introducing new technologies into the toys plays a role in actually um, helping them become approachable and more acceptable. As an example, when we first launched Oh My Bod, we felt like even the connection to the iPod itself was going to give the product the Oh My Bod product legitimacy because people felt really comfortable with their iPods. And now here is another accessory to go along with that. And then if you move forward, you know, seven years to today where we launched Blue Motion just recently, which is a Bluetooth enabled vibrator. Again, pairing your vibrator to your phone, the phone that never leaves your side, the phone that you always have in your pocket, um, the phone that control so many different aspects of your life and lifestyle, whether it be photography or you're tracking your health or whatever, to use your phone then for an intimate reason, for intimate purpose, um, makes complete sense. And in a way, again, I think it, it helps to legitimize pleasure products in general, because again, people are using something that's familiar and kind of ubiquitous to them in, in their intimate lives. So back to our original question. What do Suki and Brian think the future of sex looks like? You know, if I look at the, the future of, of sex, it's, it's, it's a combination of technical uh, intimacy, uh, but, never, but never replacing the physical uh, part of intimacy. So we always look at this, and we get this question a lot, oh, isn't this going to replace, you know, the real... The real um, you know, touch in the, in the personal uh, side of intimacy. And, and Suki and I are strong believers in that the technology won't do that, um, that there's an inherent um, human natural uh, yearning to connect with one another on a, on a natural physical uh, basis. So we don't think that it's going to replace uh, uh, physical intimacy as we know it today. Um, but we do see things like maybe using brainwaves, for example, to control um, toys that, that are, you know, halfway around the world with someone that you may or may not know. You know, there's so many different possibilities and technology is changing the way we live and, and the way we interact with, with people and devices um, in such a dramatic way that um, it's just exciting to, to think about all the, all the, uh, the ideas and, and, and potential um, 20 to 30 years down the road. You know, if you think about it, 20 years ago, we really didn't even have the internet. So just imagine what we'll have in 20 or 30 years from now in terms of technology and the future of sex. Well, and like we found out from Suki and Brian, there are all of these technologies that are now being integrated into sex toys and into sex in general. So like, I guess the blue motion would be the wearables becoming part of the sex industry. So what other technologies out there are going to be integrated soon or are being integrated now in right. sex? Just imagine Siri being part of a sexual encounter possibly or you know, there's places like the Google Lab has a robotics lab now. So what about robots in sex or, or artificial intelligence in sex? Will Siri be able to talk dirty to me? Do I want Siri to be able to talk dirty to me? Humus, compost, pumice, silt, gravel. I don't, I don't think so. I'm not that kind of personal assistant. So speaking of artificial intelligence, we wanted to reach out to someone who would know a little bit more than we did about the subject. We got in touch with author and academic George Zarkadarkis, who holds a PhD in artificial intelligence, and he regularly writes about AI, including a piece entitled Love Machines, 
that examines the intimate connection between humans and artificial intelligence. I believe, first of all, we need to separate just two things about artificial intelligence uh, uh, systems that are intelligent enough to make us believe that they understand us. Let's say this is category A and category B, where you have artificial intelligence systems where are truly conscious in the same way that, that we are. So let's say the category B is very far into the future, but we need to, if you like, worry about category A that is very near to us. So because um, computing power is increasing exponentially, it doubles every year, according to Moore's law. And because new and very innovative technologies come into the fore, uh, for example, voice recognition and et cetera, et cetera, we are increasingly interacting with machines that can understand the way we speak. So we're very, very close indeed. I mean, think of Siri on iPhone or, or Watson, perhaps the ABM system. So we've more, we're closer than perhaps some of us would have liked to this point where our, our relationship with machines will start becoming personal. Now, to give you a timeline, I believe this will happen in the next decade. So what about sex with robots? What does that even look like? Turns out Jincy Lumpkin, Esquire, who founded Juicy Pink Box and has been dubbed the Hugh Hefner of lesbian porn, recently gave a TED talk on the subject. Hi, so I am not a scientist, not an engineer. I am not an inventor. I'm not gonna come here today and present uh, years of research. Uh, my background is in, is in law and in lesbian pornography. There's a notion now that people who have sex with robots are disgusting and that it's somehow super creepy. I mean, I honestly have even had thoughts like that myself, so I'm gonna have to include myself in that in that group of people. I, I have, you know, I'm two minds about it, really. I mean, in a way, it is gross to me, but then in a way, I mean, you know, I like to use a vibrator on a regular basis, so what is the difference? So when she said that, I was like, yep, guilty, super, super guilty over here. You feel guilty about judging people who want to have sex with robots. Yeah, I mean, I'm sex positive. I don't want to judge anybody for doing something that makes them feel good and doesn't harm anybody. But something about that, it just seems weird. I think I would do it. But I understand what you're saying. It seems strange, but I think maybe it's just because we can't even comprehend what that would be like. Right. I can't wrap my head around it. But you would do it? You would, like, if someone was like, do you want to have a se sex with a robot right now? you sign up here. Like, you'd be like, yep, one I taker. I have put my penis in a lot of weird places. I don't <laughs> know that a robot's going to be that different. So, yeah. More sterile? Let's try it. But I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. Um, and actually, Jincy weighed in on that, too. As far as what happens in the future and whether people will continue to see it as being pathetic like they do now, I think that that will not necessarily be the case. It may be the case at the beginning, but as the robots develop um, and it becomes more widespread, it's going to cross over and become mainstream at a certain point. So if Noah wanted to go today, not in the future, today, go have sex with a robot, we wanted to know what are his options, what's out there? As it turns out, there is one company currently manufacturing sex robots called True Companion. And they already, today, not in the future, have quite a few customization options. The True Companion site sells both female and male robots. 
named Roxy and Rocky, respectively. Once you choose the sex of the robot, you can choose from two versions, gold or silver. So what's the difference? If you check out frequently asked questions on the site, you'll discover that Roxy Silver is the entry-level model, priced at $2,995, and Roxy Gold is $6,995. The main difference between these two is that Roxy Silver's communication skills are limited to talking dirty, and she's not responsive to sound. Roxy Gold, on the other hand, can hear what you say and can discuss a much wider range of topics. I think that might be the best use ever for a corporate card. So for Roxy Gold or Silver, the customization options are endless, like hairstyle, hair color, pubic hairstyle, makeup, toenail style. It goes on and on and on. And in addition, Roxy comes equipped with five built-in personalities, which you can change at your discretion. I think my two favorites were Wild Wendy, who is, quote, outgoing and adventurous, and Mature Martha, who is described as, quote, very experienced and who would like to teach you. You can also create your own personality. True Companion also thinks it's important that you know you can put whipped cream on Roxy, but it's not recommended that you put her in a bubble bath. She can also speak four languages, English, Spanish, German, Japanese, which kind of makes her the most awesome Rosetta Stone alternative ever. Information about Rocky is a little bit more elusive. The site refers to him as everyone's dream date, and it notes that being with him is, quote, like sleeping with a beautiful hunk that is really big down there. You can also customize him, including choosing how much stubble he's sporting. But while his penis apparently vibrates, shoppers don't appear to be able to choose how big they want Rocky's dick to be, which is obviously a total bummer. Yeah, it kind of seems like a big oversight. So True Companion offers lots of robots based on traditional gender norms and what's available today. But what about the future? Could we be having sex with Unicorn robots? Jinsi had some thoughts on that, too. When it comes to these robots in 15, 20, 30, 50 years, uh, in being able to create something that is not necessarily human in the sense that it's born um, male, female, or intersex, um, you'll be able to create, you know, potentially not only queer-bodied robots, but just robots of unimaginable gender. Um, expression. As far as what the body parts of robots will be, the imagination is really the limit. Uh, You can have maybe just totally different body parts, maybe robots that aren't, you know, gender binary, you know, so not necessarily man, not necessarily woman, but something totally different, you know, maybe mixed with animals, who knows. Um, And maybe even A robot whose pussy tastes like Pepsi Cola. You never know. Uh, Birthday cake. I would love that. That would be great. Like with the little, you know, just like sprinkles. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how that how that develops. I personally would love to have sex with a mermaid robot. That's weird, right? That I'm bonding with an OS. No, it's okay. It's weird. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Actually, the woman that I've been seeing, Samantha, I didn't tell you, but she, she's an OS. I think that in the movie Her with Scarlett Johansson, you had a pretty realistic characterization of what a sentient robot will be like. You were dating an OS? What is that like? It's great, actually. Yeah. <gasps> I mean, I feel really close to her. Like, when I talk to her, 
I feel like she's with me. Are you falling in love with her? Sounds like you freak. Of course, she did not have a body. She was a disembodied voice and existed in a computer operating system. But you saw that in the movie, she began sort of with um, human emotions and ideas and had to be taught a lot of things, but was able to learn very, very quickly at a much faster rate than we were because she has, you know, um, unlimited access to information and was able to have relationships simultaneously with thousands of men so that is that is the kind of thing that I think we're going to see so we really just we really don't know we'll we'll birth them you know just like a child you'll birth it and then you don't really know what's going to happen um and they're going to grow just past past us in an exponential way so at a certain point they may be like you're really not interesting (laughs) to me (laughs) Sorry, I need to be with another robot. I was thinking about the other things I've been feeling, and I caught myself feeling proud of that, you know, proud of having my own feelings about the world, like the times I was worried about you, things that hurt me, things I want. And then I had this terrible thought. Like, are these feelings even real? Or are they just programming? And that idea really hurts. And then I get angry at myself for even having pain. (laughs) What a sad trick. You feel real to me, Samantha. You might think this sounds crazy, but actually our culture has been prepping for this moment for centuries. So literature has explored relationships between human beings and not and non-human uh, intelligent agencies. I just you know mentioned one uh, myth that is very widely known in the West is the Pygmalion, uh, the sculptor from Cyprus, ancient uh, uh, sculptor. He sculptured a woman called Pandora, and he fell in love with her and uh, prayed to the goddess Aphrodite, the, the goddess of love, and uh, the goddess gave life to Pandora, and uh, Pygmalion and Pandora got married and lived happily ever after. So this story has been mutated and changed and um, sort of uh, retold many times over since then in, uh, in, in, in various ways. So I believe that it is within our culture, there is a narrative, a very strong narrative about human beings falling in love and having relationships and even having families in this case with, uh, with, with artifacts, with intelligent artifacts. So I think psychology, Logically speaking, we're we are quite well prepared, if you like, for this eventuality. Now, what will happen if it becomes a reality? Uh, again, uh, reality sometimes is very different from, from how we imagine. Usually it is. Usually reality trumps any kind of imagination. So a quick editor's note, George is almost entirely correct in his retelling of the Pygmalion myth, with one tiny mistake. Pygmalion named his statue Galatia, not Pandora. Pygmalion and Galatia did live happily ever after. Pandora, on the other hand, who is part of a completely different Greek myth, things didn't turn out quite so well. Pandora, according to Greek mythology, was the first human woman the gods ever created. Pandora is the one who opens up a box and unleashes pretty much all of the evil of humanity into the world. When someone says Pandora's box, she's the one they're talking about. Pandora is basically Eve's equivalent in the Bible, except instead of eating some fruit, she opens a box. 
really the bottom line, as in most things, was that women ruined everything for everyone. Exactly. So while our friend George clearly meant to say Galatia, it might have been something of a Freudian slip because opening a Pandora's box is exactly the way a lot of people would describe creating robots in general, to say nothing of actually having sex with a robot. So what you're talking about now is unintended consequences? Yeah, I mean, we're already creating robots, and if we do have sex with them, do we really have a good sense of where that's going to lead or where it could lead, for better or for worse? On the human side of it, what if we just want to fuck other robots? What if humans stop having sex with humans entirely? So we asked the experts, and their responses were mixed. Suki and Brian were pretty optimistic. If you think about what Brian mentioned earlier and the fact that at least the way we see things, people, human nature is that you want to have a connection with another human being um, and that uh, most humans thrive on that connection and it's a part of who we are as as humans. Um, and so to me, I don't ever see kind of, there. there's kind of this fear that people are going to re- be reclosed placed with robots and and that's the only kind of sex you're going to have and you know and Brian and I see it as um as technology and if you will robotics only augmenting or enhancing relationships as opposed to um again creating this chasm between people so because I think we both believe ultimately that people want and need human connection I mean, there's definitely a place for it, obviously, and there will be people that are interested in it, but I don't, my personal opinion is that I don't see it kind of overtaking or taking over the, the, the sex world or the toy world and all of a sudden everybody's just having sex with, with robots as opposed to their partners. Claire from Babeland had pretty similar sentiments. And for the most part, she felt like the fear of robots replacing humans in the bedroom wasn't really anything new. I mean, people get nervous about, and always have, like this is another thing across the board, people are nervous that sex toys are going to decrease your intimacy with your partner because it's like a thing in your bed. You know, it's not just you and your bodies and your sweet nothings and, you know, your your love for each other, but uh, a sex toy in the bed can it just makes people nervous to think about, you know, like if it's not me, then she doesn't love me. Or if it's not, um, you know, if something other than my hand or my, you know, whatever I'm using. And we still, that is, that's, you know, across the board, across time. She, this is going to replace me. I, I just, I'm nervous. Like, I don't want it. I don't want her to have it. I, well, I like to think of like humans together as the gold standard. Like that is just how it's always going to be, um, and we don't have anything to be afraid of. But I think that, I mean, really, I think we probably should be open to the good feelings that anything gives us. Like, be it our operating system, you know. Uh, the little chat bots. It is happening, and we are talking to things that are not people as though they are people. Um, so we might be having sex with things that aren't people as though they are people pretty soon. Um, but I am not willing to throw that out. I don't think we need to worry about it at all. I really, really don't, because people want to be with each other. That is the truth. 
So everyone's pretty optimistic, but with technology, there has to be something to fear, right? Yeah, I mean, we all saw Terminator. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be good for human beings to have relationships with, um, with machines. I don't know if it's going to be bad either. What I know is that if those machines can fool us enough, as the Turing test suggested, that they are like us, that they respond to our emotions, they respond to our, our uh, demands or desires, then we will start having very interesting new types of relationships between uh, sentient agencies, let's say, between human beings who are one sentient agency and artificial intelligence, new, new kinds of relationships that we currently don't have uh, between human beings necessarily. So will this be good or bad? I think, I think that remains to be seen. Jinsi took it in a totally different direction. She's not so much worried about the consequences for us humans. She's actually worried about the consequences for robots. The thing that concerns me about creating robots that we are going to have sex with is if we do not program them in the ability to say no, then they don't have that option. So it will always be a yes. And to me, that is not an informed consent yes. That is a yes under duress. And therefore, I see that as really a type of widespread sexual abuse. So I think that we really have a responsibility to create autonomy in the robots. This is a concept that is extremely scary for scientists. Uh, I think Elon Musk just a couple weeks ago said something like, with AI, we will be releasing the devil. Um, and that's, that may be true. You know, We may come to a point where we haven't advanced fast enough with our robotic human selves um, that robots may, I mean, sure, whoever, they may take over the world. We don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen in the future. But the alternative to me is very scary. It's creating um, an entire species of slaves. And we already have, we already have had and continue to have in a lot of places a very negative history with slavery. So I don't want to see that happen in creating, in birthing this new these new children. So with those concerns in mind, how do we move forward with artificial intelligence? We're going to have to have a lot of protective measures in place for the robots. For instance, like when you break up, okay, so you have a, you go out and you buy a sentient robot, right? First of all, there's the question of, is it even right ethically for you to be able to buy essentially a, a person, right? A person who has, um, well, a robot person, so someone of a different species, but who is conscious. Can you actually buy that? Is that ethical? Uh, second of all, when you decide that you're, you know, you're done with her, let's say this is like Roxy 20.0. Um, when you want to break up with Roxy because you met, I don't know, Roxy 20, 23.0, what, what happens after that to Roxy? Do you just unplug her? Is that is that legal, you know, to end that... Um, in that consciousness. So Karina, after everything we've heard, where do you stand on the future of sex and sex with robots? I think I'm excited and terrified. I think it's going to open all sorts of new possibilities and there are going to be new conversations and, and, and new ways of having sex and expressing yourself. But I think there are also going to be some pretty significant hurdles, and we're going to have to overcome those, as we do with all sorts of new technology. Um, so I, I, think, I think no matter how we move forward, there's going to be good stuff and bad stuff. 
I think you're right, but I definitely can say that I'm not going to be angry about a robot penis that tastes like pepperoni pizza. Right. Or having sex with a mermaid. I mean, yeah. Yes. Please. So as long as it doesn't turn into the Matrix and our world isn't like burning as machines cackle in the background, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. As long as we don't go the way of a bad Hollywood movie, I think I think it'll be interesting. But I think one thing is for sure. When it comes to the future of sex, the future has kind of already arrived. Thanks so much for listening to the first ever HuffPost Love and Sex podcast. This episode was produced by Caitlin Baguki. Head over to HuffPost Love and Sex on iTunes and download, rate, and review. If you give us enough gold stars, Huffington Post will buy us a sex robot. So start clicking. We'll be back on Valentine's Day week with another episode on the real Fifty Shades of Grey, including a trip to a New York City BDSM dungeon. So make sure you come back. Well, that was fun. Maybe we can have Rocky and Roxy have sex with each other. And then is just that, watch? Is that like, does that make us voyeurs? Can you be a voyeur? Too meta, I think. <laughs>